Hello and welcome to the Save Your Game podcast. This is the podcast where I talk to people from in and outside of the gaming universe about the games that have defined their lives. My guests will choose three games that fit this bill. We'll be talking about when they played them, why they played them and all the things they loved about them. But in the end, there can be only one. After discussing all three games, I'm going to force my guests to make an agonizing decision. They must choose their one game to be saved for the Save Your Game podcast and be immortalized forever. As always, I'm Frankie Ward, and I'll be passing the controller over to our guests once in a while to find out which games they want to reminisce about. Before we get started, if you love gaming as much as we do, there's a whole load of game-related stuff you can dive into, so make sure you head to redbull.com to keep track of which games get inducted into the Red Bull Save Your Game podcast. My next guest on the show is pro Tekken player Gene Ayo, also known as Cuddlecore. Cuddle, welcome to Save Your Game. How are you today? I feel great and I can't wait to talk about some games here with you. Earlier in September, you were told that you're a Red Bull athlete now. Oh yeah, I mean, that was insanely exciting. So I didn't know that at the Red Bull boot camp that that was going to happen there. Like we were going to have the ceremony and everything. And my friends were there, players that I have been fighting alongside and against, you know, a lot of us representing American, like top pro Tekken for years so to share that with them and it's still really overwhelming (laughs) I was kind of just in shock kind of in awe and I started crying one of the filmers there he was like you know you deserve it cuddle you you know you worked for it you can hear him in the video saying it and I'm just like sobbing because sometimes you don't think about the fact that you deserve it it's just the fact that you work so hard to do something because you love it that much it kind of takes you a second to kind of realize like a certain amount of time has passed and that you know This is the reward of hard work, genuine, true hard work, and that you should appreciate yourself a little bit more in what you do. My therapist says, be kind to yourself. Uh, She's definitely right because I I don't think I've I've still fully like let it sink in. Well, anyone who's not sure what a Red Bull athlete ceremony involves, you should totally check out Cardacore's social media because there's an absolutely lovely video that you've just mentioned uh, on your Instagram, which involves you being given the hat because it does seem to be a tradition. It doesn't matter whether it's esports or snowboarding or, or anything. If you become a Red Bull athlete, you get basically surprised with a hat and it's surprisingly emotional for for something that involves being given a baseball cap. And and yours was absolutely no different, Cuddlecore, when I was watching it. I was tearing up myself and we hadn't even been introduced at that point. So I'm sure that listeners to this would love to watch that video too. I want to ask you where the name Cuddlecore comes from because you're a combat fighter in the virtual sense. And this is quite a sweet name. Or maybe it's not. You tell me. So the name Cuddlecore actually came from... Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> I used to play it a lot as a, as a kid, like seventh grade, eighth grade. Really obsessed with it. Really great for stamina, by the way. And I liked challenging myself because I, I didn't know how to match like rhythm with like a, a pad or like uh, like the mat, like the physical, like squishy mat, not the hard mat, the squishy, like the squishy Oh, one. they bunch up on the carpet uh-huh. when you're trying to practice at home and it's mm, so slip. annoying and you're just trying to dance to La Senorita was my favorite from I, I think that was in Dance Dance Revolution oh my god what a song anyway ole so yeah you're, you're practicing at home on the squishy mat yeah and um it was Dance Dance Revolution Supernova I had like three of them but Supernova was the one where my name came from because one of the songs was called uh, Murmur Twins and I really liked that song a lot and uh, as a kid I used to listen to the soundtrack as I was doing homework so I needed a new name on my PlayStation account at the time and I was like hmm 
Cuddlecore. I'm going to do that. And I really didn't think it was going to be the name where like all the things I accomplished was like connected to this name. But it does fit me very well because it's like I, I am a very affectionate person. I give up my heart. But at the same time, core, like I think about how like that's all energy. So like everything I do, there's this ferocity, there's this intensity, you know, there's like this unmatched energy that I give. So I think it's very soothing and I don't think it's changed. I think I've become a bit more stern in my later years. Um, you know, especially as being a pro, you have to really advocate for yourself and be your number one fan. But uh, Cuddlecore, I think is still, it's very, it's still very true. So inside, deep down, you're still that girl that played Dance Dance Revolution at home on the squishy mat. Very much so. I think I just, as an adult, I protect myself a lot more. I I protect that little girl a lot more. So how do you go from Dance Dance Revolution to being a Tekken fighting champion? Did you have any heroes that you looked up to or that maybe got you into playing the games? Well... Alongside playing Dance Dance Revolution, I played tons of other genres of games. So fighting games was just something that was always in my house anyway, because my dad was like a huge gamer. You know, as a kid, you see your parent playing Tekken. And I specifically remember Tekken 2. So I see him playing. Of course, naturally, you want to get involved with it with your parent because, you know, that's something cool that you get to do with them. And I ended up really liking it. And because of my dad, every time he brought a game into the house, I played it or I watched it, you know, or we took turns finishing levels. And... It really gave me a chance to bond with my dad in a different way because it's something we both loved. We love gaming and movies. So, you know, as a kid, I didn't know anything about like pros or pro tech. And I honestly just was like, oh, people play this stuff and learn how to get a bit better at it. I was just trying to enjoy the game. But um, the older I got and the more people I was exposed to in the community, they kind of let on that there's like pros, there's circuits for this stuff. I started learning a lot of about that actually maybe 17 but I didn't really go to any locals or anything till I was like 19 so I do think that like the old heads of tech and now the they were like very current at the time and so NYC Fab was one of the the players who when I saw him play like Tekken Tag 2 I was like yeah he's really cool super chill uh, the way he played I thought was aggressive but very assertive um Having a confident play style is very important in professional play. And, you know, he's a black Tekken pro. And seeing somebody that looks like you and they are supportive of other players, they want them to get good, but they're also really good themselves. And, like, they, you know, defend the home turf when international players come over. And you're like, wow, like, this is so cool. You're watching the tournament from home. You see him come on stage and you're like, oh, my God, it's so cool. And in the end, you know, he ended up being, he's like a brother to me. He sees me as like a sister, you know, someone that he's always supportive of. And there's there's other players too. But like I think about Fab, um, when I think about like players that were down to earth, no matter how many opportunities they got, he was actually one of the people who continued, uh, well, continued to like encourage me to stick with esports and that it was a really good time for me too because, you know, I don't have a family uh, I have my you know, mom and dad and like my sisters and stuff, but like not like kids or anything. And, um, you know, I'm allowed to like move around travel as much as I want, like without like having to worry about too many other responsibilities, worry about myself. The old school players, a lot of them being so like welcoming is one of the reasons why I still, you know, I'm here and why I compete. <laughs> so, Well, Cuddle, you are here to discuss some of your favorite games. And at the end of the podcast, you're going to have to choose just one to save above the others. But I, I do want to ask about what your first gaming memory is. And this could be one of your three picks. But I imagine it's actually not. And I imagine it's something maybe that you played with your dad, as you've already mentioned. Uh, there's a lot of games. But one that I have a really big connection to is Portal Runner, because it was the first game that I 
spent my allowance on to like buy at Hollywood Video, I believe. A lot of people don't really know about the game. And it's like this army doll and she goes through all these portals in these different worlds and she befriends a lion. It's like Toy Story, but like army stuff. And uh, with a female protagonist, she's amazing. Her name's Vicky Green and you use a bow and it's a, it's a platformer, but it's a PS2 game. I love it. It's like 2001. It always has like this charm to me because, you know, as a, as a little girl playing like a, um, a female protagonist who's just super just badass her goal is to save her boyfriend. And I was like, oh, love it. So Portal Runner has a huge place in my heart. It's being the first game I bought with my own money. It's 20 bucks. And that was a big deal back in the day. I think I bought my copy of Tekken 2 from like the bargain bucket, from the pre-owned bucket, you know, at the local blockbuster, something like that. And I played that game to death. So that's one of my personal early gaming memories. And you started playing Tekken with your dad. And is it true you started playing at the age of six? Yeah, like it was really young. I always teetered between like, oh, yeah, you know, I started watching and I would press the controller at like three. (laughs) And then at like six, I really remember really getting into it like with tag. I think I was like six or seven when tag one came out. And I said, oh, my God. I said, is that tag? And he's like, yeah. He's like, I said, can I play? And he's like, of course. And we were just we played for like hours. It was so fun. You know something's good when you can remember the music to this day. I remember the stages. I have a lot of good memories with that. Tag one with my dad was great. Well, how do you know, though, with Tekken, like how you're good enough to to compete? Where do you actually start a pro career in Tekken? Is it a case of going to local tournaments? So like, yeah, when I was like around 19, when my friends said, hey, yeah, you know, there's locals going on. I remember also inquiring about it on like Facebook when Facebook was totally being used to connect and stuff like for gaming specifically now Twitter seems to be more of the place but I found like there was a Facebook group for it and a guy who was like who was trying to challenge me and I said you know what sure yeah I'll go fine it was during tag too so I went I mean I ended up beating him <laughs> but then him and like his friends like they all ended up becoming my friends and once I started kind of seeing like the talent that was coming out the players who were better who I want to learn from so I paid attention I, and I also played them and asked questions and then started to hear more about like what they call them, like regional events so at the time like UFGT was definitely a tournament in our area the ultimate fighting game tournament that was a series before uh, and then you know Combat Breaker is what we have now but back in the day it was UFGT that was like my first big regional so like then I went regional once I started to get like more of my footing with playing like the players locally started hearing about UFGT so I started to you know spend my money spend my pennies on going to UFGT and uh, I had gotten a few top eight placements there and um, it's the drive it's the hunger once you see like you you know make those milestones okay yeah I, I, okay I got beat by this player right well okay I'll keep practicing okay keep on paying attention all right yeah now I got top eight at this regional that's cool okay cool so then what's like next you start going outside your state that is very different because a lot of the time people from other states are going to this one state so like final round for me like I think the first time I went to final round I definitely did not crack top eight uh I probably got like 30 like in the top 32 or something like that or like 16 I can't remember like 17th or something because you know the concentration of players is way bigger and higher when you go to something that's bigger like that it made me want to continue practicing and learning every time I went to something especially when I did a bigger tournament because like there's um, local regional national stuff I didn't go international until I went pro but uh, I always fought international players who came here and if I didn't do as well as I wanted I continued to study would continue to go to the tournaments play the people that were better than me and the people who I knew were getting to that point 
you know, who were getting up there and it really helped me a lot. Do you have a favorite memory from your career so far? Dang, there's so many, but you know what? I'll say this one because I really didn't think this was going to happen to me, but uh, getting signed to Red Bull as a player slash athlete, it's literally like the bow on a present. You know, I, I do have a lot of pride also as being a black woman in, 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 in doing this because uh, you want to do your job well, but I also like representing black excellence in gaming. And I think it's really important. And I am glad that other people support that too, because certain communities like in gaming, like there's not, I don't always see black women or not as many, uh, especially with esports pros. It's not seen as much. And sometimes it can be a little scary. And I understand why like sometimes it's hard to kind of get into like a community because of those things. It's nice to see people that look like you, but I tried not to think about that really because I loved playing so much and the people who were in my corner and, you know, like trained with me, you know, they never treated me differently because of those things. They respected how hard I worked and uh, the results and that we helped each other. We always supported each other. But yeah, I truly appreciate and I'm grateful to Red Bull for recognizing what I do, but also appreciating my efforts outside of like being a pro player because I I like to get back in other ways, um, whether it's charities or coaching, or speaking on panels about my experiences to help un- people understand, like, they're not by themselves. Like, I understand. So um, I have a lot of pride in being a Black woman representing on Red Bull. Like, I have a lot of pride about that because we're not always seen as much in some of these uh, spaces, especially as esports pros, but we exist. And I'm glad to be given the chance to soar even more. So yeah, this was a really big deal. It's something that I definitely wanted. And it's funny, my manager mentioned it. She's like, you wanted this. And I said, and I, I remember sending an email to them, like in 2019. I didn't know I was going to like, I didn't know it was going to turn to this, but I kept on doing the things that I do because these things make me so happy. And I'm a very driven person. Um, I'm very competitive in and out of the game. So if I want to get good at anything, I will put in the time. I will take the criticism from the people I trust and I will continue to grow. And now you are an athlete and you're going up on those stages and you're inspiring young girls. And now they know they can do it too. I like... There's people who say like, you know, you, you make me realize I could do it. And I'm like, well, it's interesting because I wasn't exactly trying to, but I'm glad that my presence helps you realize that you're not by yourself. Cause you're not. Cause like a lot of the experiences we have in these spaces are very similar, <laughs> especially when we're in certain, when we're in certain minority groups. I definitely think seeing like uh, pros, especially like black pros for me, like NYC Fab, Lomajin, uh, that definitely did a lot for me and even outside of sports when I think about like Simone Biles or you know Naomi Osaka and I you know follow like their Twitters and read like the things that they're doing or like what they stand for it makes me feel less afraid to speak up or you know be the authentic genuine version of myself uh never having to water it down and uh yeah uh, other people can do it too you know you find the path that works for you but like being yourself I know it sounds super cliche but like being yourself is so important. Absolutely. Well, your future is clearly incredibly bright and it means a lot to other people too, but we've got to go down memory lane now. The first game you're thinking about saving is from a classic franchise and is the 2018 release of God of War. In its latest release in 2018, God of War takes beloved main character Kratos to North mythology where he must unravel plots around the nine realms of the North Pantheon while trying to protect his young son Atreus too. Released by Sony Entertainment, God of War won acclaim for its story, world design and combat, guiding it to pick up multiple Game of the Year awards. 
again, my dad, he's like, ooh, God of War, picks it up off the shelf at a GameStop or something and comes home with it. Just one and two. And then he buys three. And so he ends up playing it. I end up getting subbed in to help him with some of the levels because PS2 God of War, first God of War was a little janky in terms of like hitboxes. Certain things shouldn't have hit you. And that game was kind of hard. So I would sub in for him and then I played it on my own. The game was great. You really aren't supposed to like Kratos in the beginning. You really aren't. But you kind of sympathize with him and how tortured he is because, you know, he pretty much gives his whole soul to Ares to, you know, help him defeat his enemies. But in return, his life is not his own and he loses his family. But I'm not going to, you know, spoil all that. But it's the whole point is like even to like God of War 4, you end up liking him a lot more, but his demons come back, right? And um, who he fights for changes completely. And I love that, along with the combat system. No complaints there. I love being able to upgrade my weapons. I love how flashy everything is. Uh, chains alone are iconic, but I love how we switch to like this massive axe as well in 4. Um, but I also like that the challenges kind of increase, uh, like the Valkyries and things like that. I really like things like that. But I also like that we follow this story, follow this story for years. So like with my dad... I got into God of War because of him, but God of War 4, you know, I would sub in for him even then. Like this last year or two years ago, like I was helping him like finish off the Valkyries because he was having a tough time. He's more of a casual gamer, but you know, he he's played through that story like three or four times. He will beat something to death until it is done. Like it'll, he's played this game like five times already, four specifically, like, but you know, it's a really good storyline. And because of him, I, you know, really like god of war 4 as well well focusing in on god of war 4 then what is the ultimate thing about it is it the storyline or is it the mechanics because you mentioned obviously you're, you're a fan of both of those things i really enjoy the storyline a lot i love the mechanics yeah but the fact that they made a character that, that was so unlikable they make cradle so unlikable from one to three but four comes like he's a, becomes a father figure he's a dad but he's still so brutal but it's a part of himself that he is tucked away that is the past right He's a different person, changed, lost someone very close to him, having to look out for the boy. If You know, it's very funny because... Boy. Boy. And I'm like, oh, that's so funny because it's like honest and he's very real with Atreus and the realities of what is going on. Uh, he prepares him, trains him, and kind of reminds me of my own parents. Always giving me that love and support, but sometimes having to be very stern about the realities of the world, you know, with living in it as a person, as a black person, as a black woman, and uh, how it's prepared me. And I think about those things and I'm like, I related to a lot of it. Um, my parents are way more affectionate and hug me and, you know, kiss me all the time. Kratos doesn't do that. But like, you know, it's the fact that like, I could totally, I see a lot of like <laughs> my dad <laughs> in Kratos at times, like the the sternness, but how he was, you know, how he's there for him. Sometimes I'm like, gee, you know, I hope my dad's proud. And sometimes they show, parents show it in different ways, right? But um. But when you see it from a parent, especially when they show it in a way that you're not used to, you're like, I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, I, I see they're proud. Awesome. You know, getting that acceptance is, is huge, especially when it's not in the traditional way that you're used to seeing it. Do you have a particular favorite boss battle from God of War 4? Favorite boss battle? That's a really good question. <sighs> Honestly, I really got to say, like, the sub-bosses with the Valkyries was my, were my favorites uh, because they were... Because, you know, like the, the regular bosses follow the story and I like that. It's just I really like how hard like the one like touch kill kind of thing that was going on. Because unfortunately, I love the challenge all the time. And it's because of playing fighting games. But like, I'm like, ooh, OK, if I lose one, OK, I'm gonna keep on going. I can do this. And 30 tries, 40 tries in. Like, you're like, this is so tough, but you keep on finding ways to adapt. Um, So I really like the Valkyrie, like uh, 
sub bosses there's like probably eight or something of them and i really like those a lot because they always push you and they all had these different like weaknesses so the way you have to adapt and adjust them is completely different it'll make you mad but it makes you determined i love those kinds of games i can imagine that yeah it's interesting how you relate it to fighting games and having that tenacity and finding the weakness i think when i first started kind of working in gaming and and say working with the tech and 17 team on um on a an event we did together i didn't realize about things like counting frames and stuff like that and i'm just wondering do you apply that discipline of counting frames to other video games like for example god of war when you're in those boss situations Mm, somewhat so it's not exactly the counting of frames but it's more so like the timing if I do something right here, if I press right here, am I going to get countered? If I wait a little longer, can I step? Then can I attack? So I think more of it in, like, in terms of uh, like looking at how they move so then I make decisions. So timing is one of the biggest things from fighting games that I take to like dealing with bosses and adapting and patterns. We look at player habits. So I apply that to bosses. You've mentioned about Kratos being quite an unlikable character for the first three games, but in game number four, becoming more relatable because he's got Atreus, his son. Do you think that he is one of the most beloved characters in gaming? Mm, I think he is one of the most beloved characters in gaming because I think even before his like metamorphosis, I really think a lot of us can relate even aside from just being like, oh, you know, like, yeah, you know, I have a dad who's like that. No, it's like a lot of us we do things for ourselves. Us as human beings, I think we can sometimes, we look out for number one, we look out for us, we can be selfish as people, but something changes us. Something changes us uh, and we realize it's not just about us anymore. There's people to think about. There's people to be concerned about. And sometimes it takes one thing to change that all. So I definitely think he's one of the most beloved characters in like gaming because I really think we can relate to the change, the evolution of the character completely uh, from beginning to end. I have found out that you attended art school for a while mm-hmm. and therefore you've had an affinity with art for a long time. So do you judge a game by the way it looks? Uh, a lot of the time, yeah. Uh, aesthetically, if it looks kind of off to me, it's kind of hard to get into it. I think I really like well, like, like polished, finished looking games. Doesn't mean that the art style can't change, but I really think I like the the well rendered, like non outlines around the face looking comic-y thing. But even if it's not that, sometimes for me, it's color palette. I'm really big on colors. So it's cool how like in games, you see how their color schemes change depending on the level or what the character wears and uh, what, what mood that can also e- evoke from you, which I really, I love diving into that kind of stuff. Mm, for sure. Well, with so many games in the God of War franchise, it can seem hard to pick a place to start. However, with an estimated 20 million people playing the 2018 version, it seems like that's probably a good game to, to begin with newcomers to this God of War universe. So... I would love to ask you just one final question about this game, Cuddle. And that is, do you think that this game has positively impacted your life? Oh, yes. Yeah. It was the first time I really understood, like, I could hate a character and really end up liking him a lot and being like, good for him, good for him. But um, I also love the combat and the storytelling. I love it. But I also like mythology as well. And I was like, wow, what a what a take. What a take on mythology it definitely positively impacted my life based on the fact that uh, I've experienced some of the best storytelling. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for it. Good storytelling is is something that I, I value a lot when I watch or play something or read something. 
We're going to go from Norse mythology to a zombie apocalypse now, as the next game you want to talk about, potentially saving, is Resident Evil 2. The original Resident Evil 2 was released 23 years ago for the PlayStation in 1998, with a re-release coming more recently in 2019. And both were released to critical acclaim and are known as some of the best horror games of all time. I discovered the series when my dad played it. I was like a little kid, so obviously I wasn't allowed to play horror games, but I watched. And the case art was amazing. Two discs. I was like, oh my God, two discs. It's like so cool. I would really always look at the art a lot. Loved it. Remembering that my dad played it so much. When I was 17, I bought it on the PlayStation Network and I played it. And by this time, PS3 was out. So we already had great graphics. So I'm going back in time when I play it. And I was completely horrified. Every single thing I did, I was scared. Every single thing. I ended up purchasing four later, playing Code Veronica, and then seeing what my dad liked too so much. So I bought it and I see why. Um, Because of that, I... I support the series and it's one of my favorite series to this day. Interesting that you love two because I feel like there's a camp for two. There's definitely a a hardcore fan base for four because that was definitely a big change in the series, especially when it came out for Wii and suddenly you're playing Leon S. Kellandy, this new kind of character or new playable character at least in a whole different way and then Resident 7 with the Village reboot as well that won a lot of fans and brought new people into the franchise so why is it 2 that really grabbed you? Mm. So 2 I think it creates the perfect amount of horror it's the perfect ingredient to really make you feel like you're helpless ammo is limited the music the sound effects the color scheme those dark like greens and grays and blacks are um horrifying it makes you feel dull it makes you feel scared it makes you feel helpless the blood is is red and um the sounds like i said the sounds you can't see a zombie but you can hear one and it's munching on something you're like like okay well i don't really know what i want to do here so i really like things like that uh, and the story. I think the story is really good. The fact, I mean, there's, of course, other Resident Evils where you play more than one character, but the fact that you can play Leon, but you could also play Claire. The fact that we're Leon, but like, you know, we're these, we're bright eyed and we're hopeful. First day on the job. I'm a rookie. Just for you to come in here and pretty much half the, the dang near the whole city is like, they're all turned to zombies. For Leon to kind of stick to his positive I'm gonna save the people who are still alive kind of attitude as like a cop I'm like huh I think that's kind of cool and then Ada Sherry and and you know Ada being introduced this mysterious character we got a feel for her but we don't know what she's about we don't even know what her story is about really until later on I really like that a lot and the map I think the map is a great part about it it's the fact that we literally start out in the town and then we go from being in the town to like further in the game being in a sewer but you know, first then the iconic police department and then we go into the sewer we don't know how everything's all connected because like it's just so big like how why do why do police why does the police uh department have doors with locks made out of like clubs and spades and stuff and hearts i i was like it's random but you know what it gives me a challenge and backtracking is so messed up in that game and i love the challenge of it it pushes horror to 100 percent i'm like if i'm 17 years old I'm playing a game that's like completely like the graphics are not the same at all. Like, and I'm still scared. I said, yeah. And the fixed camera angle. Like, how could I forget? Fixed camera angle. The fact that when I turn, 
and I'm walking towards like something, you can't see it. You're just walking towards it. So you don't even know. So the combination of you're walking towards stuff, you're walking away from stuff, you can hear chains and like fences being rattled, but you don't know what it is. You hear a dog, but you can't see it. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. I I'll give the graphics a pass. Like for the time, it was amazing, groundbreaking, sure. And I still love the pre-rendered uh, backgrounds that look completely different than the actual like models in the game. I love that because uh, they're well designed too. So it's just, it's, it's iconic. It's a piece of art and any game that can actually push you to be afraid or something like that, because it's what it's trying to, it's going, it's what it's going for. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I, I had to turn it off every like couple like hour to finish that game. It's good. It's good. I still have memories and nightmares of the time in Resident Evil 1 where the dogs jump through a window in a corridor. Like it's fairly yeah. early in the game, but honestly, it made me turn off the PlayStation. It was too scary for me. It was too much for me because I was about eight years old when I played it for the first time. But bringing it back to Resident Evil 2, one of the things about these games early on, apart from the frustrating lack of ammo, strange puzzles that don't really have much of an explanation like the doors of the raccoon city police station and also a lack of ink ribbons to flip and save the game uh, the, the games also had really difficult inventory management uh, it made things a little bit more stressful than perhaps they needed to be it wasn't really terrifying it was just annoying <laughs> like did that bother you at all about the game did that mar your enjoyment in any way uh, actually, not at all. Uh, it made it made the situation more dire. That I I needed to think about what ne- uh, what resources I I needed, what was necessary, and I like that because it really created the. It felt realistic in that sense because like if I have pockets on me and pockets like on my vest and everything, that's about all I got. That's it. And if that's the case, then you have to think about inventory management, and I think it really helped push the horror aspect because it's like, are you going to keep this green herb? Or are you going to take the bullets instead? And if you have a save room that's like down the hall, but you have to go through like the zombies to do it, what are you going to do? So I like the trouble it put you in, but it forced you to make decisions and have solutions on the spot. I loved that. It actually didn't bother me at all. I thought it was really smart. Make your gamers work for their, uh, for their wins. <laughs> What gets your adrenaline going more? Playing a horror game like Resident Evil 2 or playing on stage? I feel like both kind of do it for me. But you know what, though? Yeah, it's, it's still the stage thing. The adrenaline is definitely playing on stage or playing in the top eight, for sure. Do you think, though, playing something like Resident Evil and getting used to that sense of adrenaline and, and, and having to focus on a task, especially like a quick time one, do you think that's kind of actually helped you? deal with being on stage competing in Tekken and and feeling that that feeling of like nervousness and excitement at the same time oh yeah I mean because also there's things that you have to face in Resident Evil that you don't want to have to deal with especially like two like you got to face your fears whatever you hear whatever you see you have to go like it's the only way you can beat the game you have to get past it um so like there's a lot of things I'm like no no I don't want to I can't do this but you're like you have to you have to so no matter what you feel the adrenaline like you have to like force your body to move forward to this you know to complete the objective complete the mission so it kind of reminds me of um when i play you know on stage you know i might have a little bit of nerves a little bit of tingles the butterflies but 
once you start moving, once you start getting those limbs moving, you know, it kind of starts to go away. You're able to manage the adrenaline. You're able to do your job, get past the obstacle. With its re-release in 2019 to critical acclaim, Resident Evil 2 is one of the best games to get involved with just to discover this franchise that's really made horror gaming what it is today. And you know what? I've got quite a specific tip that I need to ask you about, which is how you conserve your ammo and just manage to fight. Like, do you, is there a different way? How do you, on earth do you win when you've only got like six bullets in your inventory? Mm. So yeah, it's, it's funny because like there's people in my chat who are like diehard, diehard Resident Evil fans and they're like, you know, give me tips and tricks. But uh, they kept on promoting moving a lot. And it's funny because like every time I would get ammo, especially when I played like Resident Evil um, 1, the, the remake, that one's really good and scary too. You just put the ammo away, keep on putting it away. Uh, you can take a bite or two, but like run, juke it past them kind of thing. And you can like, you know, maneuver around zombies. They're like you. You'll see, like in like, like the the high level Resident Evil runs. That's all they do. That is all they do, and they only shoot what is necessary. Like like legit, <laughs> like like a boss or something. Like the zomb- uh, crimson zombies. You have to shoot their heads off or whatever because like they do a lot more damage and they they come back. It's once you kill the zombie, then they come back. That's an re one, but they come back. So you have to burn them the first time. So yeah, things like that. So a strategy like burning zombies uh, and depending on the Resident Evil before like in one before they come back. If you come back to the room, they'll be the crimson red zombies and you'll you could die. Um, Moving past zombies, running past them, you know, maneuvering around them instead of just spinning all your bullets because they are not I don't think they're meant to be like shot down like that. Um, And you have to shoot certain parts. Uh, I know. If I recall correctly, people will tell me about knees. Shoot the knees so they go down, boom. And then, you know, use your knife and do the... T- I still think that depending on the game, like, the knife is really hard to use. In Code Veronica, it was, the knife was way easier for me. But, like, I have a hard time using the knife in, in other Resident Evils. And when you have the herbs, sometimes mixing them. And if you are close to, like, a save box, put the stuff that you don't need away. Put it away. So, yeah, like, those are, like, the mini little little tips <laughs> that I always like people would tell me and stuff and I was like oh how cool okay cool and it helped it helped a lot when I would play later ones that's gonna help me a lot to be honest I still not completely Resident Evil when I was playing with my husband and we got to a point where I think we've, we've got to like the shark tank bit and things like that but we just haven't got any further so at some point oh. we'll we'll pick it up again but at least I got further with him in me me early 30s than I did when I was eight years old and to be fair I'm finally old enough to play it I still get absolutely terrified though now to support this podcast we're putting together a special save your game playlist of some of our favorite songs from the games we love so Cuddle, what songs would you include anything iconic maybe from obviously Tekken maybe from God of War I'm really biased because I pick this stage a lot uh in Tekken so Twilight Conflict from Tekken 7 is an amazing song. Uh, it really reminds me, well, the stage itself also reminds me of like old school Tekken. Another song, which is a completely different game. Can I do that? Can I put another song? Of from course my- you can. Yeah, I'm waiting for your Dance Dance Revolution contribution. It's like called Hot Red Spider or something like that from Devil May Cry 1. That's what I got. Amazing. Well, you know what? That links us on quite nicely to your third and final game. But before we do talk about that one, for everyone listening, if you have any ideas or suggestions for songs you'd like to include, please send them in to us via our socials at Red Bull Gaming. 
Here on Save Your Game, we love to celebrate when a friend of ours has a podcast equally as brilliant for you to listen to. Enter the Savage Situation podcast, hosted by popular gaming and esports personality Adam Savage. With new episodes available every Tuesday, join Adam and his co-host Ian Chambers as they explore the latest stories from the world of video games with a sprinkle of sport, online news and pop culture on top with regular guest appearances spanning the world of entertainment. From Bring Me the Horizon to Drag Race star Trixie Mattel, Minecraft sensation Dan TDM and uh, me... <laughs> the show celebrates some of the most prolific creators and gaming enthusiasts to talk all about their video game history. Expect lots of game and movie nostalgia as the Savage Situation podcast invites you to sit back, relax, laugh away and peek behind the curtain of life from inside the gaming industry. Be sure to check out the Savage Situation on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Castbox and all major platforms now. We need to go from zombies to demons as we talk about your third and final game. We just had a hint there with your music choice, Cuddle. It's Devil May Cry 1. Originally released in 2001, Devil May Cry takes players on a journey as Dante, an occult private investigator with an interesting past as he completes missions and puzzles while killing hordes of demons along the way. Spawning multiple sequels, it is known as one of the greatest video games of all time. What attracted you to Devil May Cry originally? Was it that stunning hairstyle on Dante's bonds? Cuddle. Well, you know, I was, I was, I was like seven. I thought he was very attractive as a character. I was like, wow, like this guy is so cool. And he was just, yet again, I watched my dad play it and that's why. But I thought the combat was really dope. The sword was huge. The sword was massive, but, um, the combat was 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 really nice. I liked how you could do these combos with Dante uh, and the effects, like the the effects, like when you hit them, and um, also just in the game and like the little items that were very like specific to this environment. I loved that. It's very gothic to me, Catholic, like churchy kind of feel. And I was like, you know, I was like, this really makes sense because it's Capcom. I have to confess something here. I have never played a Devil May Cry game. So I would love you to kind of describe what the game is about and, and how it feels to play. You've mentioned it's it's kind of gothic in terms of the style and the, and the visual concept. But what on earth is it about, uh, apart from his big sword? So, like, I might get some of this wrong because it's been a second since I played it. But, um, you know, it, it follows Dante. He's an investigator. But, like, there's something about him that seems a little different, right? It's kind of the fact that he is half demon he's there to investigate i forgot what it's for but um there's this like a uh, boss that keeps on coming back and it's like this knight and like black like ish armor but definitely a demon and you don't really know who the guy is you're curious you also come across this other character that you befriend, befriend named trish and i think she's supposed to be like some sort of demon as well but she looks like his mother so it becomes this whole thing where you kind of like unlock his potential at the end. Do you think the hack and slash element of Devil May Cry is one of the reasons that you like it so much, given that it's got that physical combat style? Yes, and it's got puzzles, like Capcom games love to do a lot, and they backtrack a lot. So yeah, I love the the hack and slash, but I also like that there's puzzles, lots and lots of puzzles, in like really weird ways, right? Like you pick up an item and you read it, and you're like, oh, wow, yeah. And so then you're like, okay, so maybe it has to do with that door over there like little obscure things like when you play resident evil you pick up an item and it tells you something that actually does relate to you having to solve a puzzle to open something 
over there or like get a gun or so stuff like that. It's from the same people. So of course they reuse concepts, but they're so good. And um, yeah, I, I really think it is the fact that it's hack and slash, but it's also puzzles, but it's also the fact that I can up upgrade my stuff. I can upgrade all my weapons. I can use different weapons. So I, I really like that stuff too. And and that becomes really present like in the later games, but really like how he's uh, designed and how he fights in one. Would you ever speed run again? Because again, the games that you've mentioned today in this podcast are games that tend to have speed running communities. I mean, Resident Evil 2 in particular, yeah. but but is that something you would ever consider doing yourself? Uh... I don't think so. I wouldn't want to speed run because I feel like I'd feel I'd be too anxious and try and finish everything. I'd feel like it's an I'd have to, I'm trying to complete a goal and I'm trying to do it in a certain amount of time. My job already requires that so much. I want the speed run to be, you know, for, let that be for the people who want to speed run. I think I'm just going to stick to enjoying the game and uh, however long I need to finish it, you know, cuz cuz I feel like it'll be another I'll, I'll put it on as another challenge for myself and I'll end up just like I'll end up just really wanting to like take it all the way. I just I just want to enjoy my games right now. <laughs> and you clearly have chosen games where the storyline means a lot to you and they're games that your dad enjoys as well. Have you played any of the sequels of Devil May Cry? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I end up, uh, I was gifted. Like the, the, the my, my, my community is insane. I love them. Yeah, they gave me one, two, and three. And I think it was in a bundle. And... I guess I should say like, okay, first I played four when I was a teenager. I finished four. Love Nero. Love that character. Love him. Then a year and a half ago, I played five. Five was all right. It was cool, I guess. I think I'm really old school. There's like, I just think I am. There's something, there's something up with that. So yeah, I played five. Then I played one. Then I played three. So I really think that my favorite version of Dante is definitely Devil May Cry 1. Dante, he's a very serious kind of character, but he's like a badass. Um, and the later ones, he gets a little cheeky and it's like fine, but he's very jokester-ish and like nothing phases him. And I get that. But in one, you see him be affected by things and be aggravated by things. And it's not just like, a yeah, I'm just going to be that cool, edgy anime character. Yeah, nothing, whatever. Yeah. I'm I'm the uncle who's not phased by anything yet because Dante's like Nero's uncle or something like that. I think the older school versions of Devil May Cry are the ones I like the most. When I did play all of the games, I definitely loved one and three a lot. Three is when you fight his brother. So obviously a tip that you would have for someone like me approaching this game for the first time is start with the first game (laughs) and ignore the second game. Yeah, yeah, that's what I kept on getting told, and I'm like, fine. So then when I did try to play it, it was not that great. It was okay. So yeah, definitely start with one. I played one, like, 20 years later, after it was released. And I still loved it. I played it, like, three times. Finished it on different modes. Trust me, if you like that kind of stuff, you know, like, the gold gothic, like, dark demon, like, um, mysterious kind of atmospheres, good combat, hard bosses, um, fun story, but good story, um... I'd say, yeah. And you like Capcom? i definitely say, play it. Start with one. Yeah. I like some Capcom, uh, but I also do like a game where you can change the difficulty if you can't get over a boss battle. So if I can do that, darn it, I'm in. <laughs> so, Cuddlecore, that 
unbelievably is nearly the end we have your three games and they're all titles that clearly mean a lot to you so this is i know this is going to be quite a hard decision to make but the time has now come you now have to choose one title to be enshrined into immortality the one game above all others that you could not live without so cuddle i'm just going to ask you yes or no are you ready yes let's do it (laughs) okay then here we go i would do a drum roll but i haven't got my bongos today Cuddlecore, your official game to say for the Save Your Game podcast is Resident Evil 2, the original. Amazing! Ah, so yeah, stop the remake. We're going with the janky, janky fixed camera <laughs> angles. Weird, weird, probably voice acting too. Resident Evil 2. And you know what? From hearing you talk about how much you love puzzles with your sideline of zombies, I'm not surprised. And You guys have heard it here first. We have another official entry to the Save Your Game podcast. So if you agree or disagree with Cuddlecore's choice, make sure you vote for which game you think she should have entered into the Red Bull Gaming podcast via the poll on at Red Bull Gaming Twitter. And that is it for this week. Thank you so much, Janelle, for joining me today and saving Resident Evil 2 for the Save Your Game podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe and rate the podcast, please. And feel free to leave us a review telling us which game you'd inducted and why. You can also get in touch with us via our socials at Red Bull Gaming with your thoughts, or you can get in touch with us at Red Bull Gaming using the hashtag SaveYourGamePodcast. But for now, we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>